Hi, this is Josh Levine. I am the co-founder and CEO of Private Market Labs. A quick moment about our company. We are a new connections marketplace that helps buyers of small businesses find, finance, do diligence on, and operate a successful small business. This is the fourth installment of our Twitter Spaces series called Private Market Insights. The recording will be up on Twitter for several days after the recording and will also be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Our goal with these sessions is to provide detailed insights into a specific piece of the small business M&A process. Today, we are thrilled to have Alex Lathery, who runs Blue Collar Builds, a company that builds websites and tech stacks for sweaty startups. Alex, it's great to have you. Thanks, Josh. I'm happy to be here and to uh, just get to share a little bit about what I do and maybe a little bit on the more technical side of you know small businesses and the side that not a lot of operators dive into. So I'm excited. Yeah, we're we're also excited here as well. So um, I know we talked through a couple of uh, discussion points, so let's just jump right in. Um, let's start with some of your, your background in the space. So um, what is some of the work you've done to support small business owners? Uh, particularly new owners of long-standing businesses. Uh, what do people typically need most from you when they reach out? Yeah, so just a little bit of background on me is I really kind of started this because I had a friend who acquired a landscaping business. Um, I got a church with him, and he acquired it from an older guy who was retiring and basically just wanted to sell, you know, it was a lifestyle business. And so he went in, as a lot of people do when they acquire a business, to something that was really just pen and paper, mm-hmm. no website, very minimal digital presence. And, and the digital presence that was there was doing more harm than it was good because there was some bad reviews. And, you know, when you only have 10 reviews and you have two of them that are like one star, that, that kind of damages your reputation. Yeah. And so I was learning to build these websites and I was like thinking, you know, who can I help? Who can I kind of get under my belt? as a little portfolio project. And I was like, well, that makes total sense to just approach my buddy and ask him if he needs a website. And so that was kind of my foray into not only, you know, building for my first couple of clients, but really into the space that I now serve pretty much exclusively, which is these home services type of businesses. And so started with him And from there, it really skyrocketed into doing like all kinds of different businesses in terms of like junk removal, house cleaning, pressure washing, window cleaning, uh, a little bit on like the real estate side. And and inevitably, I've done a lot of different clients that have kind of come into that space where they're acquiring a business or they just acquired a business and they're looking to start making some of those investments and you know, the typical playbook that a lot of the guys take is like, let's convert this pen and paper model to digital marketing, to systems, to using maybe some no code. And so that's where I kind of fit in the the piece with a lot of those people is trying to help bridge that gap to be able to recommend, you know, some softwares to use. Um, and also just a little bit on the, the side of what kind of digital strategies they can take that aren't going to break their budget. And so that tends to be where I get a lot of those initial questions, you know, is that people are wondering, do I invest in SEO? Do I run paid ads? Do I invest a lot of time to like growing my Google business? Um, Google my business rather. And so 
people tend to ask like, you know, like what do you recommend as a starting point for something like that? Because what I've just basically acquired is pen and paper. It's all organic or, you know, on the ground marketing. Maybe that's like a wrapped car or truck. I mean, or, you know, yard signs, things like that. It's not a whole lot on the digital side. And so I kind of recommend a couple of different approaches to them. Usually uh, depends on their budget, right? But a couple of ones off the bat is like going into Google LSA, which is the local service ads. Those tend to produce pretty high quality leads compared to general, you know, Google pay-per-click ads for the home services space. Um, I also recommend really, really leveraging and pushing the Google My Business aspect of Mm -hmm. things because it's entirely free. You know, if you have some time every week or every month to dedicate to making new posts, to dedicate to adding photos or videos, you can start to leverage that as a lead generation tool. And if you're pushing to get reviews from every kind of customer that you serve, that will start to grow over the year, the next year or two. And you'll eventually start to, to get into that top three or top five of the Google My Business kind of ranking pack. And that's where you'll really start to see a lot of leads coming in. Gotcha. Thank you so much, Alex. That's a fantastic uh, start and a fantastic background. Um, definitely a, a lot to work from there. Um, but maybe one place to move forward is uh, what are a few things that customers and uh, consumers of small business services tend to expect from a website here in 2022? So obviously we know that, you know, and you just mentioned a lot of existing small businesses may have a lot of pen and paper advertising hasn't, haven't really invested in the digital side of things. So where do business owners typically have the most trouble meeting consumer expectations from a website perspective? Yeah. So there's a couple of different things that I notice, you know, through talking to people that I interact with, but also through talking to a lot of the business owners. And one of the ones that kind of recurs is that like, there's, it's, it's never been easier to get a website right? You can go to Squarespace, you can go to Wix, you can go to, there's at least a dozen builders that you can pretty much get a template off of and just get a website up and running. And so some of those templates are really great. Some of them are really great. Some of them are not so much. And so something that I've noticed is kind of like a fatigue of customers seeing a template that they have seen, you know, five different times around the Mm -hmm. internet. And in those cases, if it doesn't look like a really top-notch website, they'll kind of get an unprofessional opinion about the company and about that website mm. just because they've seen that template all over the internet. And it, it almost gives off um, more of like scammer vibes in, in some of the conversations that I've had with people talking about those. And so that's kind of where you know investing in a really good template, one that fits your business one that maybe is just a little bit more modern in terms of the styles that it uses is a better investment or going the alternate route, which is getting something fully custom designed and built out to kind of fit your unique needs. So, so, so it's really about, you know, you're talking about not, not being cookie cutter, you know, being sort of modern and and distinct. Those are sort of the, the key pieces of it. Yeah, essentially, right? Because there's in specific industries, you know, especially like if you're talking about house cleaning or things like that, you will find sometimes within the same city, you'll find two or three different companies 
that have the exact same copy pasted website where they essentially went through the same service, you know, whether that's their CRM or they went on Wix and they just searched up cleaning website template and they all use the same templates. And they don't know when they're doing that, that 10, 20, 30 other people have the exact same idea. And some of those people are in the exact same target market that you're targeting. And so that can cause problems from a, a customer perspective of not you know, necessarily trusting that business as much as they would if it was a unique website that also looked pretty modern. Yeah. So um, let's, let's sort of continue on this, on this thread, uh, but, but go a little deeper. So moving beyond the website, right? I'm a, let's say I just acquired a new business. Um, I'm, I'm getting up to speed. I'm trying to evaluate the tech capacity of that business. You know, what are some of the, the tools that a new small business owner, you know, someone who's just coming in and taking over a, you know, successful business, but that might not be so tech savvy, right? What should they be considering implementing at the very beginning? You, you touched on some of these, you know, Google My Business uh, type investments, you know, what other pieces of that tech stack should a new business owner be thinking about implementing first? Yeah, so the biggest one right off the bat, one that I recommend to every single client that comes from me is getting a solid CRM set up for your industry. And so for people who aren't aware, CRM is just a customer relationship management software. And really what it allows you to do is to kind of one, house all of your customer information. So you have a database of all of your customers Whereas a lot of people maybe just have it, you know, pen and paper or they have it on email. Converting that to a digital method allows you to do a lot of really cool things that usually come with those CRMs. And so that's being able to do things like email campaigns for marketing. You know, if it's starting to hit busy season and it's a couple of weeks out and you want to send out, you know, a couple email chain offering some discounts, things like that. That's where a CRM can become really powerful is that marketing side of things, as well as the organizational stuff, having all of your customer information there for ease of access. And CRMs offer a lot in terms of other functionality as well. So you've got the kind of marketing automation side of things, but you've also got the admin slash operations sort of stuff that just tries to make you know your life easier as an operator and also your team's lives easier. And so a lot of them have you know, online quoting capabilities that you can embed into your website or direct booking that you can embed into your website. If you use something like, uh, there's a software called booking koala. That one has a price calculator that goes right onto your website where people can go in and essentially, you know, if they have a 2000 square foot house, they enter that in, it gives them a quote and then they can just book it right from the website. So that kind of eliminates some of those manual steps in an industry where that's applicable. So there's so many different CRMs out there and it really is just a question of what kind of industry you're in to decide which one is right for you. But for general purposes, there's the big names like Jobber, there's House Call Pro, there's Service Titan. And then my personal favorites are some of the more niche ones in terms of like Booking Koala, which is kind of a newer one in the space. And it has that you know online calculation for an actual quote estimate right on the website. That's kind of one of my favorite ones to, to recommend. But the biggest piece of software that I recommend them going straight off the bat is that uh, CRM, investing in a really good quality CRM. Gotcha. And as you're evaluating the, the CRM software, 
you know, you mentioned some of the more niche providers, you know, how, how would you recommend a, a business owner to evaluate whether they want to go with a niche provider or a bigger, more established provider like Jobber, um, something like HubSpot, right? How are, how are you sort of helping a business owner think through that process and what are some of the key variables, uh, particularly if the person who's acquiring may be coming from uh, either a, a PE background where it's someone who is used to you know, building financial models and, but may not be operating within like a, a small business context. You know, those, those use cases are different. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that, that I recommend people do. One is if they're talking to me, I usually can have a decent amount of expertise in terms of like the ones that might work for their industry just because I've talked to so many clients that have used and tried and failed with some of them. And so I tend to recommend ones based off of past client experiences. But anytime that I have clients, you know, maybe they have two or three that they're looking at. And uh, then I would then recommend a lot of these companies, they will do live demos with you. And so you can schedule a 30 minute, you can schedule an hour, just a demo call where they'll basically answer any questions that you have about those CRMs. And you can kind of see on the back end of things what all of the, the features are without having to just kind of make the judgment based on the websites. And so that's kind of the thing that I recommend, especially when it's a little bit of a gray area of you've got two that have a lot of the same features that you're just trying to find out which one you might like more from a user interface perspective. Gotcha. And then you know, going back one quick second about the, the website templates and the website decisions as well. When would you recommend that a user use a template versus build something custom? And are there any particular places where as you're kind of walking them through their options, what are some of the key decision points on that front? So it really just comes down to your budget and what you want to spend, right? So a website is an investment like any other in your business. And depending on the platform that you choose, that will determine the quality of the templates that you get, but it will also determine the difficulty of actually getting that up and running. So if you go to something like Squarespace, if you go to something like Wix, you're going to be a little more limited in terms of the templates that you're offered. They're going to be ones that maybe were created five years ago, maybe were created 10 years ago. And so you get to kind of pick and choose based on that. But those editors are very beginner friendly. So it's going to be pretty easy for you to get that up and running within, you know, a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, if you're kind of just tweaking things. Now, if you move to a more advanced platform, something like WordPress, something like Webflow, which is what I personally use, you might have options for more modern and more varied templates that would also be on the higher end of price. But then you start to get into, you know, Trying to launch a WordPress website is a lot harder than launching a Wix website. Or trying to launch a Webflow website is a lot harder than trying to launch a Squarespace website. And so you really have to kind of do a balance of what kind of budget do you have to invest in this business to get it up and running from a digital perspective versus how much free time do you have, right? Because there's usually like two to four quadrants of people. It is time-rich, cash-poor time rich cash rich time poor cash poor and then time poor cash rich and so a lot of the people that are acquiring businesses are going to fall into you either have a lot of money and not a lot of time or you have a lot of time and not a lot of money and so 
if you want to save yourself the time from learning one of those platforms and just get something up and running, that's probably when you come talk to a company like ours or any other web design agency that maybe is more specific to your kind of industry so that you don't have to go through the trial and error of getting it set up, of messing around with the templates, or of creating one entirely by yourself. Because I've, I've had people that try to go that route as well, and it usually doesn't go very well. And so, you know, as you're sort of thinking about all of these different, you, know, you mentioned budget. And, you know, what is an average investment that you see? You know, so obviously when we, when we think about the, the small business M&A world, you know, that can range anywhere from a couple hundred thousand dollars acquisition to, you know, tens of millions of dollars, right? So in terms of the clients that you're looking at, what sort of is the, the ratio of business size or, or, you know, whether that's cash flow or revenue purchase price to the amount that they're putting into this, this website, into their tech stack? Do you see that there's generally rules of thumb around, oh, companies that are putting more in on the, on the purchase side tend to need bigger website investments or are those the companies that tend to have better tech stacks to get started? I'd be interested in sort of talking through that. Yeah. So generally kind of what I see, I had a, somebody that I talked to like a month or two ago, who was also in the digital marketing space and we were talking about website pricing and they basically said that uh, the the world of website pricing is sometimes like the wild west. You'll see people saying they'll do it for a hundred dollars. You'll see people saying they'll do it for ten thousand dollars, and then you'll see prices all across that span. And so it it does make it really hard a lot of times for for business owners to decide like where is that fine line of getting something that's quality or something that's just way overpaid, right? Because you don't not a lot of people are going to need that $10,000 website, just depending on the revenue that they're doing as a business. Um, in terms of general rules of thumb that I see newer businesses that are like completely, you know, you're starting from scratch, which is not going to be a lot of your audience, but those kind of business owners, those are going to be the ones where you're talking about a couple of hundred bucks, probably using a template unless they have more cash flow to invest in something. Um, but then you start to get into the next range which is where most of the businesses that work with me tend to, to be. And that's within like the two to four grand website budget. And the, the difference in kind of pricing there really just depends on how much you want to think about the branding that you create with the website and also the complexity of the website. So if you have a website that's got like 10 different pages, you've got a CMS, which is called a content management system, which is basically where like, you can, at the click of a button, duplicate a whole entire service page and just have it repopulated for a new service that you've added on. When you start to get into some of the more advanced functionality and deeper into the branding side of things, you're looking at the top of that that budgetary range of four grand, sometimes even five grand. Um, and then if you're looking for just more of a basic but very high quality site tailored to your design, that's when you start to reach the lower end of that budget of maybe like two grand, three grand. And so it can range all around that and you'll get different numbers from different companies all across. But those tend to be from not only myself, but also a lot of the other people that I know that work in this space with similar companies, that tends to be a decent industry price point to look at. So let's talk a little bit about ROI. Um, where Are there any industries in particular where you've worked 
that you see really big ROI. So places where maybe a, a, web, a new website or uh, some additional digital marketing tools are needed to compete within an industry that's already crowded by sophisticated players or even an industry that is a little bit sleepier or you know less high tech coming in with a high tech uh, presentation on the internet allows them to have a leg up like do you, where do you see kind of the places where investment in these digital tools can make the biggest ROI yeah, and so it really does relate a lot to your direct competitors. And so that means your target market, where you guys are actually doing business, but it also means the industry that you're in. And so where I see the most ROI is usually in these industries where it is extremely low tech. And so I'm talking about, you know, you call your local plumber, you maybe don't even get a response for a couple of days. All it takes to get an ROI on your digital presence of that is to just answer the phone. And so I kind of look at it in a similar way with a lot of my clients. And the ones that I see doing really well are the ones that come into an industry where, you know, you've got your traditional process for getting a service, whether that be home cleaning, for example. You might have to reach out on their website via email or you might have to give them a call. And then that usually leads to like a two, three, four, or five email or conversational point chain um, that you have to kind of go through to collect payment information, to actually get the booking set up, to actually go and communicate all of the details about the service, and then to do all of the follow-up. And so that's kind of a big burden, you know, from an administrative side as well. But then you can have a lot of the players that are doing it right now um, especially a lot of my clients, they're kind of going to this new model. Okay, we can charge cleaning based off of a very determined pricing model. And so they'll use a software like Booking Koala, softwares like Responsibit, which are online quoting softwares, where you can just provide a live quote right on the website. And basically they can book right then and there. And so that becomes a lot more appealing, a lot more interesting to especially the younger demographic, which is starting to become the demographic that purchases these sort of things. People don't want to get on the phone and talk all the time anymore. They don't want to do the email chains. We have become accustomed to getting what we want as fast as possible. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I call the Amazon model. And so any way you can bring that to the small business world through online quotes, through instant quote and booking online, that is a big advantage. And so luckily for, for most people, that is something that you can do in just about any of these home services kind of industries, because a lot of the businesses are still owned by you know people near retiring age who've been doing it for 30, 40 years, and they don't want to change their systems. Um, now, in terms of talking like very specific industries that I've seen it uh, a lot of opportunity in recently, if you go and kind of Google certain types of service industries, one of the ones that I've been noticing a lot lately is like pressure washing. Interesting. If you look up pressure washing in your city, you'll probably find, you know, you'll have your Google My Business that pops up first. And so there are a lot of companies that, that leverage that. But if you are lucky enough to be in a city where it's really not, you know, focused on, you can see that there's essentially nobody ranking on first page of Google. Or if they are, they're just ranking there because they're the only person with a website. And so those kind of industries, depending on, again, your target market, 
are where you can find really easy opportunities to get a good website up and to maybe start doing a little bit of an investment into SEO, which is just search engine optimization. So that's things like posting blogs um, that you know target the keywords that you're trying to rank for, things like that. And you could relatively quickly get up and start to generate leads that way, as well as through the Google My Business kind of model. So that's kind of a different you know, take on, on the competitive advantage that you can do from uh, pursuing this digital model is really trying to find those, those industries where the web presence is almost entirely neglected, which as we kind of go on and, you know, it gets more and more technologically advanced, more new owners come in, that, that kind of advantage is going to start shrinking as people start to, to fill in those gaps. Well, this wasn't a live podcast. This, this would be the time when I would pause the recording and go Google pressure washing businesses. But unfortunately, <laughs> we're here on Twitter spaces and, uh, you know, free advice for everyone out there. Um, you know, it, you, you started to touch on this a little bit, but let's delve in a little bit more. Um, in the absence of a big ad budget, what are some of the additional free traffic channels uh, business owners should be targeting? So you mentioned, you know, uh, content creation and keywords. You know, how does how does that process work and how can a business owner approach that um, intelligently and strategically? So the things that I really tend to recommend that are going to be the easiest for business owners to actually get up and running with is first and foremost, Google My Business. Google My Business is entirely free. You pretty much have to have one to, to do anything digitally um, in terms of running ads, in terms of tracking anything on your website. Getting set up with like Google's suite of tools is super important. Uh, and what you can do on that aspect is like, Obviously, you should push reviews, getting reviews from customers. You can make posts, almost like a social media post, where you maybe promote a new offer or just put some information out there. Just staying active on that, which takes a couple of minutes every time you make a post. It's, it's really not that big of an investment from a time perspective. Um, posting photos, posting videos, responding to reviews. All of that stuff is a, a very small time investment. but compounded over one year, over two years, as you start to really rake in reviews, as long as you're pushing that on your customers, which you should be, absolutely, um, you'll really start to get a lot of leads from that. And so just to give some some context around that, I work with a pressure washing business out of New York, and they have like 62 five-star reviews. And so for their county, they show up as number three uh, the third ranking on the Google My Business map pack when you search pressure washing for their county. Mm -hmm. And they get a vast majority of their leads directly from that Google My Business listing. And they built that up completely free over the last two years. And now it's a huge driver of revenue. Maybe like 80 plus percent of their revenue comes from Google My Business jobs. That's impressive, so, especially since that's not even a, an extremely high number of reviews. And just having yeah. the, the ranking and being directed in that uh, sounds like it makes a big difference. Yep. And it, it gets even more valuable when you get into an industry that's recurring because I've got friends that are kind of in like the janitorial space where they've landed $10,000, $20,000 yearly contracts with companies that found them on Google My Business. And so, you know, depending on the industry you're in, those, those rewards might be a little bit higher. So I really recommend that people invest in their Google My Business. It's super neglected by a lot of the, you know, 
previous kind of owners or the older generation of owners because they just don't feel like investing in it. And a lot of people get complacent with it as well. Uh, they maybe start to do decent on it and then they essentially forget about it. So that leaves a lot of opportunity to they can go and pass them up. On the other side of things, you can start to do more of like social media. And so this one gets a little gray, right? Because you can make Instagram posts all the time if you're a cleaning business and it might seem like you're going out to crickets and you very well may be. And so where I kind of recommend people start is to start on Facebook. Facebook, you can easily kind of connect that with your personal profile. Maybe just like give it, give like a shout out on your feed. Hey, I just acquired this business or I just started this business. And most people have a couple hundred to even a couple thousand connections on Facebook that are all going to be local to where they actually, you know, operating their business. And so that's a pretty easy way to at least get some eyeballs on your offer and on your business. And as long as you're semi-consistent, that can start to become a lead generation source for you as well. I tend to not recommend people go super heavy into making Instagram posts or making Twitter posts because that is a, a little bit of an art form in and of itself. And it's also not going to be kind of locationally targeted as, as Facebook maybe would be. Got it. Um, in terms of, you know, one more kind of M&A focus question, and then, um, you know, we should, you know, this and maybe one more, and then we'll open it up to questions. Um, do you have any examples of, you know, some effective automations or, or tech, tech upgrades that uh, have worked really well? You know, so right after an acquisition, you know, what are some things that have worked really well for some new owners? So are we talking, you know, online payments or scheduling, you know, website uh, chatting, uh, where you're able to contact someone directly through the site. Like you talked about the automatic bidding, um, invoicing, anything else that would work, uh, that's worked really well in the past for, for new business owners. So I have two, you know, stories somewhat related to that. And the first is going to be a story from his name is the squeegee God on Twitter. He's a client of mine. His name's Johnny. He owns a window cleaning business with his business partner, Sergio. And uh, he also owns a cleaning business. And so these guys kind of came into it with that tech first mindset. So they weren't ones that acquired it, but they really quickly were able to generate a competitive advantage because in an industry like window cleaning, and this is going to be the case for a lot of these small businesses, the typical way of doing things is to go out to the property, give them a quote based on what you actually view at the property. And then you would actually get paid for the job, go do the job, things like that. And so that's undesirable for a couple of reasons. You have to still go out and give the estimate without getting paid. And then you get to you know, have the chances of them booking with you. So that's a time friction point. Yeah. That's also a risk of you waste all that time. And if it's an employee, you're probably paying them to go and do that estimate. Um, they moved right off the bat to an online estimate model. They used a software called Responsibid. And so essentially, they were able to find you know, a pricing model that worked for their industry that allowed them to just do the quotes right online based on some data that the customer might present. And they can just have people book right online after they get the quote. And so that makes it a lot faster for the customer that eliminates a ton of effort and manual work 
from their perspective of going out and quoting the job, doing all the communication involved with the clients. And so it allows them to operate that business a lot less hands-on. And it has been one of the reasons that they've been able to scale to almost being, you know, as just owners and not so much operators of that business. They, they maybe spend a couple hours a week on that business at this point, as I understand it. And they have all of their guys fulfill the actual work. And so that's a pretty, pretty big one for an industry that has been pretty much dominated by the traditional, you know, request a quote, we go out, give you an estimate type of model. They were able to cut out like two to three steps of that process and just have it happen right on the website through some creative use of quoting and kind of like the mathematical pricing model behind the work. The other story is related to the guy that I worked with who owns a landscaping company. He acquired it. Uh, it's the buddy of mine. When he kind of acquired that business, he had worked in that business for a little while to you know learn the ropes of landscaping and things like that. But you only know what you know. And so you might right. think that you're paying your guys a pretty decent wage um, compared to, to what some industry standards would say or compared to what you think that they should earn. Um, when he acquired the business, it wasn't very profitable. And so quickly he ran into some problems in that area of like the business just didn't have great margins. And that was a problem that the old owner had had as well. And so he's trying to figure out how to fix that. He comes across this software called LMN, which is called Landscape Management Network. And it's a CRM. It's dedicated directly to landscaping. And so he got a live demo from them, kind of like I recommend that a lot of my clients do when you're looking at these CRMs. And one of the features within that CRM was that it collects averages and data from all of the landscaping companies that use that software. And so he was able to find out that he was paying his, his workers a lot more than the industry average. And that was one of the big reasons that he wasn't very profitable. Had he not had that software or that tech behind things, he would have had no idea. He would have probably just tried to pivot the business model, maybe cutting out some of the lower margin um, jobs that they do, rather than saying, okay, apparently I'm paying my techs too much. Um, I need to maybe re renegotiate or find a right balance so that I maintain profitability as I kind of go and grow this business. So that was another cool story uh, of the tech making a huge difference in terms of, you know, showing him something that without that tech, he never would have known that was a problem. Yeah, that's fascinating. Do you have any recommendations for people who are looking for these kinds of, I mean, how does someone stumble upon an LMN, for example? You know, is it, you know, hey, reach out to you and you, know, you can kind of direct them that way. Are there other are are there resources out there for people who are trying to find niche technology solutions like this that are sort of industry specific? Yeah, so, so there's a couple of ways to go about it. Yeah, obviously you can follow, following people, especially on Twitter, people like me, who tweet a lot about these kind of softwares and also people who are industry unique influencers. And as Twitter kind of evolves, we we're seeing a lot more of those within this kind of small business home services space. I mean, there's, there's guys for just about every kind of small business. Um, there's, there's influencers with like 20,000 followers who know everything there is to know about owning a car dealership. There's people that, have 20,000 followers that know everything there is to know about vending machine businesses. 
And so finding those people for your industry is going to be super, super beneficial because you can ask them questions, you can send them DMs, things like that. And those are all ways that you can go about finding some of those things. And so that's one thing that I recommend. Um, the other is really just to be good at Googling things. And so, you know, if you are, let's say the landscaping example, you have customers who are, you're in a, an industry where it's like, you can just quickly go and say landscaping CRM, and you'll probably find a bunch of different options, including that LMN option. And so if you can do that with Google as a rough start and then go and talk to some of these influencers to vet, like, you know, I have five options here. What's going to be the best option out of those? That's yeah. another pretty easy way to, to find the basic ones. And the other side of that is really just that a lot of them, you're going to see the same names. You're going to see Jobber. You're going to see House Call Pro. I tend to recommend going more for those industry specific ones because that's where a lot of that extra value can be added. Got it. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, this is this has been fantastic. So let's now open up the uh, the line for questions. You know, so please raise your hand if you uh, have any questions for Alex, and um, we can get those questions answered. And uh, Alex, while we're waiting, maybe if you you know, any other sort of fun or interesting stories, maybe horror stories about how technology had a uh, you know a lack of technology has been a problem for a business or or other examples of the use of different innovative tech stack ideas for for small businesses while we're we're waiting on questions. One of the things that I'm super fascinated by is that especially the younger generation of like my my age kind of people really. They're starting to get drawn to the idea of running a remote home services business. And so you can pivot that model to whatever small business you want. But a lot of people are, are trying to build or grow their businesses in a way that it doesn't rely on them being physically able to come to the, the rescue, so to speak. And so a story kind of along that line that I, I just learned about recently from a client of mine that is pretty interesting is there's a, a guy, his name is Casper and he's running a cleaning business that operates in Chicago. So he is not in Chicago. He's actually in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And so he's running his cleaning business from Argentina all the way back in Chicago. And that's kind of this remote home services model you know, he still does some work on the business, but he's not so tied to having to be there physically. And also when he asks to operate in terms of doing some of that administration work, he's trying to build it in a way that he can be locationally independent. And there's a lot of different guys that are, are doing this sort of thing. I mean, there's a, there's a franchise called Made This. And the guy who started that, his name is Neil Parikh. He's on Twitter as well. And I think he runs a podcast called the Remote Local Podcast, which is basically explaining his process of building Made This in that model. I mean, he was running and growing Made This while he was like backpacking Europe. He was going to South America. He traveled like all over while he was growing this business. And so that's not going to be everybody's, you know, dream. Some people like to be locationally fixed, especially if you have a family, things like that. But that's a, an interesting way that technology has allowed people to kind of get creative with how they run their business. So like how do I mean, obviously, when I think about, you know, home services businesses, it 
feels like a very localized business. You know, right? What are some of the challenges of running one of these businesses remote, and how are you using tech? You know, any specific ways that people are using tech to overcome that? So one of the things that's not necessarily related to tech that they do when they run these sorts of businesses is that they almost always follow a subcontractor model. So they basically do the marketing. And then they just have subcontractors actually fulfill out the work. That's going to be one of the big keys to, to running something like that. But the other one is really just leveraging those CRMs and some of the automation capabilities that you can have with, with certain softwares like that. And so like if you have people are able to book right on your website without any input from you and it just goes into your system, all you have to do is try to find somebody to fulfill that job. And that's where the software makes it super easy to do those connections. Got it. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, last call for questions from the audience. And if not, I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap there. Well, all right. Sounds like you, uh, you satisfied the crowd, Alex. Thank you so much for, uh, for jumping on here on our uh, Private Market Insights Twitter spaces and uh, podcast. This has been super informative. Again, Alex is running Blue Collar Builds. He's also a service provider through the Private Market Labs Marketplace. So you can find him. Uh, you can find him there. You can reach out to Alex on Twitter. And um, you know, please feel free to reach out to me or my, my co-host Titus on Twitter. We are at Private Market. Uh, my personal Twitter is at LevineJM. And I, uh, I look forward to seeing all of you at our next conversation. So thanks again to Alex and take care. Yeah, thanks for having me on. If anybody has any questions, feel free to shoot me a DM. Um, but I was really, really enjoyed coming on and talking about this stuff. So thanks for inviting me. At anytime, Alex, you're always welcome back. Y'all have a good one. Yep, take care.